Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. Today on After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, I am talking to Don Zodai, a retired U.S. Air Force Colonel and Judge Advocate, founder and CEO of P3 Tech Consulting, adjunct professor, podcaster, speaker, and author. Don has been featured on CNN, Forbes.com, TEDx, and many other media outlets. So Don, welcome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tom. You know, as I'm preparing for the conversation today, I realized you are my first former Air Force JAG to appear on the podcast. So thank you for helping me break into the blue. All right, well, go Air Force. I'm proud to represent. Yeah, so Don, I usually start off by having the guests tell a little bit about their careers. But with you, I really want to focus on all the things that you've done since retiring and how you got there. But again, looking at your LinkedIn profile, it appears that you did the gamut of jobs when you were on active duty. You did defense counsel, ethics work, administrative law, operational law, and looks like straight stick SJA experience. Is that a pretty accurate statement? Yeah, you forgot prosecutor in there. That was a big one. Did that for a number of years. But yeah, you pretty much covered it. I, I, I almost did almost every job you could do in the JAG Corps before I retired in 2018. And you were all over the United States too. I was, you know, I deployed Gitmo. And then when I worked at CENTCOM, went downrange a little bit, part of that assignment, but primarily assigned in the United States. And you did 25 years? You know, it's so funny, Tom, because we always say in the military, we work 24-7. Well, I literally work 24-7, 24 years, seven months, and I retired in March of 2018. So yes. When did you know that you were going to retire? Oh, boy. Probably went right after I pinned on Colonel or 06, and we got to our assignment at Air Combat Command in Yorktown, Virginia, by the way, which is also where I really got into drones. We just moved there as usual, you know, lowest bidder. The moves got rougher and rougher as as time went on. And my husband said to me, I'm done. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean you're done? And he's like, I'm done with moving. We need to settle. The boys are going to be going into high school at some point. Like, that's it. And so, like I said, I just pinned on Colonel. You know, I was thinking my big promotion party was just the beginning. And it was kind of like my retirement party in a way because I wound up getting a follow-on assignment. My last assignment was at the United States Air Force Academy, and I was really fortunate to get there. That's where my husband wanted to come to Colorado Springs and retire here. So that's what we did. But my Air Force Academy run wound up being a four-year tour, and I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say I was the longest-running SJA at the academy. It's kind of a grueling job. You wouldn't think it, but it was. And then flipped over to the civilian side with the Air Force then, also at the Academy in 2018. But yet, although you said you were done with the moves, you did a year in D.C. or did you do that remotely? We were done with the moves and we lived in Colorado. So when I became a civilian, I I actually got a position with the Air Force Office of General Counsel as an associate GC for business matters at the U.S. Air Force Academy. So weirdly enough, my job was in the office that I used to lead as a colonel, as an active duty JAG, sitting there as a civilian GC. And if you know anything between JAG or GC and those tensions, that was fun. 
And then I would travel back to the mothership to the Pentagon one week a month. And I did that for two years. That was pretty high ops tempo, right? Like to be gone a fourth of the year as a civilian. But it was a great, great gig. I loved every minute of it. You know, I wound up transitioning out of the GC and out of really practicing law. My last year with the Air Force, I wound up leading the Air Force Academy Center for Character and Leadership Development as the deputy director. And that was really tied to, Tom, you didn't ask me this question, but I'm, I'm just going to answer it. I wound up creating my company, P3 Tech Consulting, in October of 2019. I was still a general counsel, right? So doing the math there, what, year, year and a half or so in the seat there. And I won this Women in Drones, Women to Watch Global Award for UAS, Uncrewed Aircraft System. And it was such a highlight of my career, but at the same time, like my bosses in the Pentagon were like, wait, what? You're doing business matters. Why are you winning drone awards? And I'm like, well, we have a remotely piloted aircraft center at the Academy. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's really not your job. All right, then I'll create a company. And once I did that, and we could talk about that journey and how it was becoming an entrepreneur, but I did that because it's like, all right, off-duty employment then. If I'm going to do this work, just as a principle of the matter, I should be getting paid for it, my time, my effort. And so I created that and it just got weird real fast. Two months of doing that. And I'm just like, you know what? My passion is over here with the drone stuff. And I was able to land that gig with the Academy. So it was like leadership by day, drones by night and no weird conflicts, right? Under the drone ethics or other rules. So I was able to grow my company. And then that was a one-year gig. It was a one-year term position. And then I jumped full-time into my company just last year, February, 2021. How did you get into drones? Yeah, absolutely. My first real exposure was at Air Combat Command. I was a brand new colonel. I was the chief of operations law there. I'd just come fresh out of CENTCOM, you know, working for amazing person, Rich Gross, chairman's legal counsel. He was my boss. And Gerald Mattis, right, was the the commander at CENTCOM, you know, because I was the airman, they're like, you know, you get to do the drone stuff. Well, the drone stuff I did at CENTCOM was very different from what, of course, I did at Air Combat Command, because ACC, when you think of Goldwater Nichols and you think of how the military set up, right, CENTCOM is the combatant command, the war fighting arm. ACC for the Air Force is the organized train and equip arm specifically for the large group four and five UAS. And so when I got there, it was very different dealing with drones because at the time it was 2012, Iraq was winding down or so we thought. These drone pilots had been flying these aircraft overseas for like 10 years in combat. These birds were coming home, the aircraft. And my boss, who, as fate would have it, ultimately turned out to be the Judge Advocate General of the Air Force at the time, one star, Brigadier General Chris Burney. He pulled me aside and said, hey, you're new here. You need to get your arms around. What are the rules for flying in domestic airspace? Because as those birds were coming home, the pilots were used to flying overseas. We were having, let's just say, media attention events <laughs> where, say, there'd be a lost hiker in the forest. And all of a sudden, you know, the local wing commander at X state, X base would, you know, the local sheriff would call the commander and say, hey, can you fly that reaper and find the hiker? And they do it. Tom, you know this, and probably all the JAGs out there know this, but maybe non-JAGs wouldn't know. That's called Defense Support of Civil Authorities, DISCA. And that's like a significant moment, right? Where 
you're flying an ISR platform to find a lost hiker, not only the money, but also just the optics of that, if you will. So that happened a couple of times. And it's like, all right, figure this out, Zoldai. That really started my journey on what are the authorities domestically to operate. And it was a crazy time in the country. Not only were the drones coming back, but domestically, there was just a slew of state drone regulations that started popping up at the same time. And it all kind of arose, I don't know if you remember, Tom, but John Brennan was up for the ODNI position. And it was, I'm going to say Rand Paul, who did this like 13-hour filibuster rant about drones and like privacy. (laughs) And in the wake of that, the ACLU started throwing out this model drone act or whatever. And like all these states started making these crazy drone laws and just not only understanding the military policy, but then bases, right? Training occurs in the United States. Could that impact military operations? And what does that look like? So I became this crazy research nut reading everything I can get my hands on, not only on the DOD side, which by the way, let's talk about that for a second. On the DOD side, I'm talking 2012 now. There was literally a 2006 policy memo from the Joint Chiefs, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, that we found, it was unclassified, so I can tell you this. We found it behind a pile of things in a secret room, unclassed, and I pulled it out and I started asking everybody like, hey, does anybody know that this is like the domestic policy for drugs? And I called up the people in the Pentagon, the DOD people, like DOD GC. And I'm like, is this still valid? Nobody knows this even exists. That's really what started my journey on the DOD side. I created this thing called the DOD Domestic Imagery Working Group. And we started with lawyers, but then we brought in intelligence professionals, operators, all kinds of different career fields to sit at a table and say, okay, this thing is from 2006. What should it be today? And we ultimately wrote the DOD's policy. And that got signed finally in, I'm going to say 2015. And then it was re-upped in 2018 by, at the time, Secretary of Defense Mattis. Hmm. Uh, And I ghost wrote the second one later. So that was the DOD side. And we really focused on intelligence oversight principles and kind of applying those collection, retention, dissemination, oversight principles to drone operations. And then on the civilian side, just tons of research into all these state laws and just started writing prolifically about it, like a lot of scholarly articles. And that started my speaking tour as a colonel. What is the state of drone law today? Okay, so drone law is super dynamic and, you know, obviously a difference between law, regulation, policy, and it's really that whole kind of ecosystem that applies You know, when you think about drone laws, you're really talking about going in the Code of Federal Regulations. And, you know, these FAA reauthorization acts are oftentimes where Congress will wedge information in. And then the FAA reauthorizations are the statutes. And then the the 14 CFR series is where the FAA is codifying these aviation requirements for drones, primarily in Part 107. But a lot of these other aviation sections of the Code of Regulations are being adopted and applied to drones. It's a dynamic, it's a complex environment, it's constantly evolving. And then of course, they have policy memos like advisory circulars and things like that that also come out that further explain the rules. But where are we today? The really big thing that happened, it was in 2016, when the FAA published what they call Part 107, which is the small UAS rule, and that's kind of the shorthand for it. 
And then it covers small commercial drone operations from 0.55 pounds up to 55 pounds. So that's kind of, let's just call it that the keystone regulation that's going to apply to domestic drone operations on the commercial side. Lots of operational limitations in that, as you can imagine, including visual line of sight, which means the drone pilots, the operators supposed to keep that drone within their visual line of sight. Well, as you can imagine, with the advances in technology, any increases in artificial intelligence and automation, the only way you're going to get to a real drone economy is to be able to fly beyond visual insight, or what they call BV loss. And so right now, that's all happening by exception, literally by waivers to Part 107, which is not a sustainable model in the long term for a lot of companies, right? So the FAA has just held what they called an aviation rulemaking committee or an ARC on BV loss. They issued a 400 plus page report of recommendations this spring. And they're in the midst of doing these public listening sessions on that report. And hopefully we'll get to some kind of guidance, maybe even a notice of public rulemaking in the near future. But that's kind of one of the biggest things that's bubbling out there right now, if you're talking about kind of the hottest and latest thing in drone regulations or drone law. Is it a fair summary to say you identified a gap or a lack of guidance all when you were on active duty when you came to drones? You sort of stood up this group that started working through it from the DOD side and identified a need on the civilian side to be advising people. And that's how P3 Tech Consulting got started? Yeah, kind of, sort of. I think that's a great summary the interesting thing about P3 Tech, which by the way stands for People, Platforms, and Policies, so yes, there's a direct nexus to that, is my very first jobs, if you will, or clients really revolved around conference planning and copywriting or magazine writing. And so my company is not a law firm and I do consulting, but a lot of it really revolves around what is this market? What are some of the issues? And what I'm focused on really in my company is educating people about the industry. And when I say the industry, I'm broadly speaking about all advanced technologies. My emphasis is drones and advanced air mobility or the electric vertical takeoff and landing planes and uh, all those different designs there. But really getting to know the companies and the people that are out there and helping tell those stories because there's so much happening. It's really exciting time to be in aviation. And we were talking before we hit the record button here, but you have your hands in a lot of things. You're also a podcaster. Yeah, that's correct. I have a legacy podcast called Drones at Dawn. I did that with a conference company called Interdrone that was one of my first clients. So that started my foray into podcasting and, and I did it as part of my overall kind of conference planning with them, but really kind of rebranded to the dawn of drones. And right now we work with Drone Life, which is one of the top news outlets for the drone industry. That's every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. And we have a theme every month and we fit companies into that theme and just talk to them about what they're doing. And it's just so much fun, Tom, you know, because you're a podcaster too. I also, with my podcast producer, Mike Peel, formerly from Interdrone, started two new platforms. They're related. One is called The Full Crew, and that is a weekly tech news podcast every Monday at 9 a.m. Mountain on fullcrew.io. And then every other Tuesday, we have The Full Tilt, which is tech industry leadership talks. 
It's an acronym, as we all love in the military. And I'm telling you, Tom, those stories I'm getting from people about their life journeys and leadership lessons have been so incredible. As an example, tomorrow, or I guess by the time this airs on August 9th, we're hosting Miss Hui Tron. She is the head of aeronautics uh, research at the Ames Research Directorate at NASA. I mean, to talk to Hui, who's a first generation person from Vietnam and like her journey, her theme is going to be leading diverse organizations. So these are the kind of conversations we're having. And, And you could see, Tom, that I've completely tapped into my passions here. Drones, talking to people leadership, news. I mean, this is all stuff that really fires me up and it's so fun. We have related drop in audio chats on Clubhouse. I have the Drone Law Connections Club. That's every Thursday at 11 a.m. Mountain and that's connected to the Donna Drones podcast. So that podcast guest usually shows up the Thursday prior and then into Clubhouse and then the next Wednesday, they're live on the podcast, which is video and audio. And then for the full crew, we alternate Tuesdays on Twitter spaces. We have a full crew Twitter spaces, full tilt and the full crew Twitter spaces alternate on Tuesdays. So it's a lot. It's like every day of the week, almost I'm doing a podcast or drop an audio chat on top of all the writing that I do, but I'm having a blast. To that point about the leadership, I mean, obviously the courage to start your own business, to not you know, we have this conversation with people, uh, go government, go corporate, go law practice. But to start your own consulting company, I mean, that's 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 taking a step out there in the unknown, truly in the unknown. Let's be real here. We all know I'm a retired colonel, right? So I, I have a check coming in, like unlike maybe a person that's just leaving a company and doesn't have a potential nest egg. Like I had a nice safety net, right, to fall into. I'd probably be eating a lot more ramen if this didn't work out, but I'm, I wasn't going to necessarily start, right? Let's just put that out there first. The second thing is when I launched my company, I had a pretty cush GS-15 job and I transitioned to almost the similar equivalent, you know, when I went to the Air Force Academy in, in the leadership center, I was able to really grow this company knowing that I had a pretty good safety valve if all things kind of went to heck, then I could punch out and do something different. But I wasn't going to let that happen. When I decided to do this, I was all in, right? And mm-hmm. doing it, when you think about my timeline, for those that are, were paying close attention, I started this company just a few months before COVID hit. So there I was working full-time at the academy during the day, leadership, growing this thing in my quote-unquote spare time in my basement, right? At night, weekends, I would joke every waking hour, but it was no joke. It was true. Where I really took that step off the cliff, Tom, was when that one year was coming up at the academy and I knew I wasn't going to have that job at the leadership center or it was possible I wasn't, right? Then what? And so I'll be fully transparent here. I applied to a number of federal positions. I actually, without getting into details, I actually got a pretty plum job on the federal side high speed, national security stuff I'm talking about, beat out 250 people for this thing. And I turned it down because I would have had to close my company. There would have been too many conflicts, just like with the GC job. And I'm like, you know what? No. My pucker moment was January of 2021, when I realized, now what? 
and I literally stepped off the cliff and I'm like, I'm doing this thing full time. And it was a crazy year because we were still in COVID. And so when you think of conferences, they weren't really happening. Now the podcast thing, obviously that took off pretty well. The writing, people were home, they were reading. And I got a lot of writing you know, opportunities. Inside Unmanned Systems Magazine, one of my first clients writing a Law Tech Connect column for them. But one of the big reasons I created my company was to create this event called the Law Tech Connect Workshop. The idea was a one-day cross-disciplinary workshop with lawyers and people from industry having conversations like my domestic imagery working group that I had created to have those rich conversations and get the lawyer's CLE credit, continuing legal education credit. Well, that didn't happen until just this year in April of 2022. I was able to launch it with the Association for Uncrewed Vehicle Systems International, AUVSI, at their exponential event for the first time. So it's been really a journey and very fulfilling one, very stressful. I work a lot of hours and part of that leadership podcast is talking to people about balance and, you know, and you have the worst, <laughs> you're laughing because, you know, when you're, look, we, we buy into that 24 seven thing in the military, right? We all do. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like when you're not deployed or when you're not in a court martial, if you're a JAG or you're not, it's not a national security emergency, you kind of treasure that week, those weekends with your family. Sure. When you're an entrepreneur, it's almost like 24 seven plus. You know, just kind of knowing that going in, I think that's one thing I would say to people, but I'm doing it and I, I do love every minute of it. You have the safety valve of the, the military retirement check and you started this long before you did it solo. But when did you kind of get the idea or get the feeling like we're going to be able to make a go at it doing this? Really immediately. I mean, when I created my company, I created because I already had three clients knocking on my door saying they wanted to work with me and I needed a vehicle to get paid by them. And to have those clients and kind of grow those clients over that one year when I was still working with the feds and then to exponentially grow my contacts and my network during that time, I knew that I had the contacts to make this happen. And so it was almost like, you know, during that, let's just call it leave period, if you will, between, you know, the time I left federal service and and full-time and and then went into the company full-time. It was just like Jerry Maguire showing me the money. I mean, I was burning up the phone lines. I was lining up work for last year, 2021. One of the very first deals I landed, honestly, was a book deal. So I worked with the Unmanned Safety Institute to write a book about basically a textbook on drone law and policy called, you know, Unmanned Aircraft Systems, legal and business considerations, a a modern primer for the industry. Look, here's the deal, Tom. I sat back and I said, all right, let's put the GS-15 salary aside. Like, let's just put that aside. I lived well and good, fine as a colonel on my colonel pay, right? My family was fine, okay? So knowing what my retirement pay is, what's that differential between my retirement pay and what I have to make to just be like at that par level of when I was an active duty colonel. Right. If I can make that, I said to myself, Life's I'm good. good to go. And I, I'm telling you, Tom, I made that on my book deal. So wow. before I even started, I already had made that. And so I already knew like this was going to be a good year because that one deal. Now that was a one-time deal, right? So as I moved into 2022, I knew like, all right, I don't have X amount of dollars for my, for another book. So, right. What am I doing? So it's always a moving target and how you kind of evolve and develop 
the company. It keeps it exciting, but it's sure. also like, oh my God, what's next? What am I doing next? Right. Yeah. To, to stay relevant and be out there. Well, with all the talk of drones, are we, are you starting to see other companies pop up, other consultants? Or are you still pretty got a, I don't want to say a corner in the market, but are you still sort of the pioneer of this field? You know, Tom, I think there are a lot of, cons- I think there's consultants out there and some of them, frankly, are lawyers that are just, you know, wearing a consulting hat. You know, the majority of my business is not consulting. It's almost become, how can I put it? Kind of a media personality, if you will. I'm working with these companies, helping them, you know, kind of get their brand known and out there and doing that. So, you know, there's, there's a connection to the consulting, but, you know, I've one significant consulting client, I'll leave it at that. And that's awesome. But part of my deal with them was helping them understand the industry, right? Grow what they were trying to achieve. And also then with their related clients, get the word out. So there's a big nexus in, in what I do, but it's, it's consulting, but let's just call it content and kind of the related content marketing is, is a big part of what I'm doing. I think it's going pretty well, Tom, because this year I'm very honored to say there's a group called Air Awards. They're drone specific awards out of the UK. And this year I won the People's Choice Award for Industry Impactor. That was awesome. And, you know, my LinkedIn crowd keeps growing. I've been listed this year as one of the top 100 women in aviation and airspace to follow on LinkedIn again for the second year running. So, wow, uh, that's awesome. Yes. This isn't just like, oh, look at me. That's not the point. The point is I'm able to do this because I'm able to tell those stories sure. uh, and use those skills I learned as a JAG, the speaking, the writing, the analytical skills, be able to see a complex issue and distill it down in a way that you can, for example, convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. Those same things with, on the scientific side, be able to understand you know, a 400 page report, distill it down and write a thousand word article explaining it to lay people I think that's how the JAG stuff translates into what I'm doing now. It looks like you're having fun with it. And uh, I know the uh, the ability to sort of drive your own hours to be an entrepreneur. I mean, I know there's a lot of work involved, but to look at your family and to say, okay, we've got this going on. Yes, I can make that. I can deal with this writing piece or this media piece over here. And with the growth of with drones, I got to believe that you're not going to be short of any work for any any near future. I think the future is bright. And, you know, we used to say the sky is the limit, but frankly, it's, it's space. It's beyond the sky with all the enabling technologies that are relevant to aviation in general, you know, but so many other advanced technologies as well. I hope to be able to do this for a long time. And, and as long as it stays fun, which it is right now, I'm all in. It's been a journey, but it's been a blast and absolutely an honor working with some of the companies I've had the, the privilege to work with and, and organizations. And of course, to be speaking to you, Tom, now about it to other people. And without moving. And without moving, you know, I will say being an extrovert and living, you know, working out of my basement for the last several years has, you know, kind of taken a little bit of a toll, which maybe that says a lot about why, like for the next couple months, I'm gone like three weeks out of every month going to every conference possible. But yeah, I, I, I don't have to move and I can always come back to beautiful Colorado Springs. Well, Dawn, appreciate your time. And this has been great. It's been a pleasant surprise. I mean, Rich Gross is the one that said, you got to talk to Dawn. And I'll be talking to Rich tomorrow. That warms my heart too, because like I said, when you think about leadership and leaders, like he was one of the best bosses I've ever had. And, I, and I've told him that to his face. 
really, really great, great guy, great leader. And I'm honored that he would refer me to you, Tom, for this podcast. Well, Don, thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.